It's a brand new day, and we're putting the AM in American politics. We've seen the darkness of division and despair and are now jumping into the light of a bright path forward. Progress is here, and we're sharing its story with you, for you, all with the help of Signal Boost. Now, here are your hosts, Zerlina Maxwell and Jess McIntosh. Welcome to Signal Boost. This is Jess McIntosh. I am here with Zerlina Maxwell, and we are joined right now by former congressional candidate and founder and CEO of Vote Mama, Yuba Gretchen Shirley. Thank you so much for joining us. Good morning. So first first off, paid leave, it, it was like out of the bill. Now it's back in, but also we don't know what's going to happen next. So <laughs> just, just yeah. for, talk, let's just start from the basics premise um why is paid leave just so essentially important i mean like lay out for folks again for those who are uninitiated why paid leave is really an essential thing um we're like the only developed country that doesn't have it um for for both for both any parents moms dads any parents that are um taking care of kids or anyone taking care of anyone really (laughs) Exactly. We're we're one of two countries, not even just the only industrialized country, but Papua New Guinea is the only other country without paid family leave. And it's a human rights crisis. Sorry, I should have known that, but I didn't. No, but it's people, you don't realize it, honestly, because it, it seems it seems ridiculous when you actually start to think about it. One in four American women go back to work 10 days after giving birth. 10 right. days. You are bleeding, you're in stitches, you're in pain. You have, you know, you're not even remotely capable of going back to work at that point. And honestly, when I say it's a human rights crisis, I genuinely mean that because we have absolutely no infrastructure to support families in this country. Our policies have been failing women and children for generations. We have, you know, absolutely unaffordable childcare. Most childcare centers won't even take a baby until six weeks. And yet we're sending women back to work 10 days after giving birth. There are 71 countries that provide paid paternity leave and we don't even have maternity leave. We need paid family leave for moms and dads. Every other country has it. The average, the global average for maternity leave is 29 weeks, 29 weeks. <laughs> and the U.S. has come up with this random 12 weeks. No doctor said that that's enough. There is not a, it's not a medical reason. They came up with 12 weeks because that was the best they thought they could do, that they could actually bargain for. And even that was too much. And they now brought it, they, they took it out. They tried to get it down to four weeks. Then they took it out of the bill to try to appease cinema and mansion. Now it's back in because of the democratic moms who've been fighting for it. But four weeks is a completely arbitrary number that is not nearly enough for a woman to physically, just physically recover from giving birth. And it's not enough for the babies who actually need a parent at home with them at that age. 24 seven. 24 seven. You can't leave a three month old, not even, you can't even leave them in the car to run an errand. Like there's <laughs> and that's the, the first, the first three months that you're out of the womb, you barely open your eyes. You don't really lift your head. Your vaccines, you haven't had a chance to get all of your vaccines. You have a million doctor's appointments to go to and you need a parent at home, a mom or a dad at home taking care of you. And yet when we send babies to childcare centers at that point, you know, the American Academy of Pediatrics, said that there should be one caregiver to three babies. Even in the $3,000 a month childcare centers in Manhattan, the most expensive, it's, there is not, that ratio doesn't exist. It's one to four if you're lucky. And in some states, it's one to however many kids they can fit right, in. 12. 
there was literally there's a state and if there's some cases in Indiana where they've had one to over 30 children and oh my god I mean that's not acceptable for second grade much less babies exactly and there there are states about 16 states that if you have a child care center in a religious institution you have a you know nursery school in a um, in a church or something like that you don't have to be monitored by the state or licensed by the state and there there are deaths in child care centers in indiana there have been 31 deaths in child care centers in a four-year period and mostly unlicensed daycare centers wow it's something that doesn't even make the national news you literally have to look to the local papers to find this and it's we need paid family leave we need quality affordable subsidized child care and we need to pay the people who work at child care centers more than a livable wage. They're doing such incredibly important work. They're literally helping to take care of the next generation of American taxpayers. And yet we have so many representatives who just don't care. Right. Okay. I want you to tell your origin story because I think it is amazing and why this issue is so salient for getting moms elected. So you ran in New York. Um, You were, uh, you, you got, I think you got the highest vote share of anybody who would run against this incumbent, you you didn't ultimately succeed in that race, but you you changed the ability of people, of women, of parents, really, to to run for office. Can can you tell that story, and then we'll tie it into what's happening today? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I ran for Congress with a one year old and a three year old. It was literally the least planned decision I've ever made. <laughs> <laughs> I you know I. It's, it's funny, talking about the origin story, the reason I even ended up back on Long Island, which is where I grew up, was frankly because I didn't have paid family leave and I couldn't get off any childcare wait lists in the city. I lived in the city. I worked in economic development. I was director of research institute at NYU and I didn't have paid family leave. And I ended up quitting my job when I had my first child, finishing my MBA at the time. And then I moved to Long Island, which is where I grew up. My husband, you know, is from South Africa and he he moved out here and we we moved here for my mom. So we would have childcare, basically built in childcare. And I was consulting from home and I had a second baby and I did not think I was going to run for Congress. And Peter King, you know, consistently voted to hurt people in our district and across the country. He voted to defund Planned Parenthood 17 times. He voted yep. to take maternity coverage away from 13 million American women when we have the worst maternal mortality rate in the developed world. And I... I decided to run and everybody kept saying, what do you need right now? What, how do we convince you to run? And I remember laughing and thinking, well, I need childcare, but I, I did it anyway. I launched that campaign with a one-year-old and a three-year-old. And my mom is a public school teacher. Thankfully she is retired now and downstairs with my three children. But during the campaign, she was working. So I had, I had two babies with me all day and she would come home at three 30 and watch them. And I would head back out a campaign trail, but I was literally giving speeches with an infant strapped to my chest and a toddler by my side. And about five months into the campaign, I said, this is not sustainable. My campaign was growing. I was raising more money. I was at events more. I couldn't do it. And I put a request into the Federal Election Commission, and I asked if I could use some of the funds that I was raising for my campaign to hire childcare. And everybody said, you're insane. You cannot do this. It's political suicide. You will be attacked as a woman and as a mom. And I didn't have the option. There is a reason we have so many millionaires and so few moms in Congress. Mm-hmm. And I put this request in and it was it was to my surprise a bipartisan unanimous decision. Secretary Clinton, 24 members of Congress wrote in, the FEC approved it. And we've now seen almost 60 federal level candidates and almost 70 state level candidates use this resource. It's the first structural barrier that we have broken down to make it easier for working parents to run for office. 
It's like it's the best success story about a campaign loss ever in history. Like <laughs> it's one of those like, well, possibly Stacey Abrams, but like you're in really, really good company <laughs> using <Thank> you. using <laughs> using the challenges that you faced in order to break down barriers for, <laughs> for other people. I mean, it, it makes no sense that you wouldn't be able to spend campaign funds on child care. You're allowed to spend campaign funds on transportation. You can spend it on getting renting office space. Nobody says you have to pick less office space or you can't get a, get a fancy building like there's lots of discretionary use for mm-hmm. campaign funds that allow you to stand up your campaign infrastructure. And I'm using that word on purpose because childcare is clearly part of the infrastructure that allows us to get from point A to point B. It yep. is it is so necessary. And it's ridiculous because you can hire, you can use your campaign funds to hire somebody to go out and knock on doors and talk to voters for you. Mm-hmm. Or you can hire somebody to watch your toddler so that you can go out and knock on doors mm-hmm. and talk to voters. Yep. And that's significantly more important. And somebody asked me during my campaign, you know, about this. And I said, honestly, my babysitter is just as important as my campaign manager or my finance director. I could not run the campaign without her. And it, it literally changes who runs for office. You know, first time candidates who use campaign funds for childcare who are now in office. We're talking Nikema Williams, Katie Porter, mm-hmm. Hannah Hayes, Ilhan Omar, Reverend Warnock, badass people who are making sure that they're fighting for working families across this country and campaign funds for childcare allowed them to, to run and to get elected. I think what's so simple about this premise as well is that of course um, this should be a part of campaign funds. And of course you're basically gearing um, elections systemically to like white dudes who are with somebody who who are yeah, rich, but also with somebody partner. who can take care of the kid, right? I mean, the whole premise is based. Yeah. The reason why it doesn't go to childcare is because the wife will take care of the child. The wife's not the one running. Duh. We live in America, so like <laughs> the whole system sort of built up on this premise, which is wrong. Um, and so you have a lot of millionaires, but you also have a lot of men. Um, mm-hmm. Can you talk about, you know, the different perspectives that you can get? And then that show up in policy, like a paid leave program, like affordable child care and the Build Back Better Act, um, when you have parents in the room. Because mm-hmm. if you've never been a parent or if you're so rich that you've never really had to deal with many of the things parents have to deal with, like thinking about the cost of certain things to take care of the kids, um, you know, those those policies are not going to be they're, they're going to be on the list, but you're not going to have any urgency <laughs> um, at all to pass them. <clears throat> Joe Manchin. Yeah, you, you're you 100% correct. The people who are in office, the, the old, rich, white, wealthy men, they they have spouses at home who you know were the ones responsible for childcare. And so they don't understand why these policies are necessary. If you don't, if you don't actually live an issue, exactly you know what you said, it's not at the forefront of your mind. You actually need to understand these issues at a visceral level to have the urgency to pass them. And you look at the people who are fighting for paid family leave. Kirsten Gillibrand. Kirsten understands this, you know, intimately. She actually gave birth to Henry in her first term in office. The women who are the ones fighting for these issues are all moms, Catherine Clark, Elizabeth Warren, Grace Meng, you know, Mikey Sherrill, mom of four. Those are the people who get these issues. We have policies that are so backwards. We're the only industrialized country. You know, we're the only country that's in Papua New Guinea without paid family leave. It's more expensive to send our infants to childcare than it is to send our teenagers to college. We're 27th in education globally, 27th in healthcare globally. We have the worst maternal mortality rate. These, these are, you know, by design. Our policies were created by 
old wealthy men for old wealthy men to push women out of the workforce, to push women out of politics. You know, by the time we're 44 years old, 86% of American women are moms. And yet, if you look at Congress, only 6% of our Congress members are moms with children 18 or younger. So you're missing out on the people who actually understand these issues because it's their lived experience. Legislators legislate on their lived experience. That's what informs their decisions. It's what informs what they fight for. So Manchin, he's not going to support paid family leave. Kirsten Sinema also has never had a baby and has no idea what it looks like to recover from childbirth. And honestly, before you have kids, most people don't understand how difficult the recovery is. No, yep. we don't talk yep, about we it. Don't. We, we they don't, they don't, we don't, they don't teach us about that. I'm, I'm learning along with my friends who are moms now that like at four weeks, if you've had a C-section, you can't walk upstairs. You can't walk. Nope. Yep. Do you remember the Frida baby commercial that made so much controversy with the Super Bowl last year or the year yes. before? Yes. That Honestly, that commercial was just real and everybody freaked out and said, oh my God, we can't talk about this. I had no concept of what was going to happen to me after giving birth. I didn't know. And it's so, it's it's taboo. You don't talk about it. It's just something you go home and maybe you talk to your close girlfriends about it and maybe you don't. But, you know, I, I had very difficult deliveries. My daughter was ended up being an emergency C-section after 23 <laughs> hours of back. Oh no. I couldn't, I couldn't walk straight for two months. It took me two months just to physically recover. I was you know, 23 hours of pushing and then having an emergency C-section is serious. And then my son, you know, I was hospitalized two weeks after he was born because I had retained placenta. He was a V-back. And honestly, I, you know, my my doctor who delivered me, his wife was in labor two doors down and I had retained placenta, got a massive infection, was hospitalized for a week with IV meds and then sent home for an additional week with IV meds. The thought of having to go back to work at that point, I physically couldn't do it. And that's, you know, those are pretty, pretty easy stories from some of the horrible stories that I've heard from women who've given birth. It's a serious situation. Childbirth is not a joke. Not everyone is up and back and ready to work right away. And we need to give women the time to just heal their bodies. And in this bill, there's still, there's still talk about, you know, how much we're going to spend on mental health, women, you know, maternal mental health. You know what the number one thing you can do to support women's maternal mental health is give them paid family leave. Mm -hmm. Yeah, There is so much stress around, you know, how am I going to get my baby to the doctor? How am I going to get myself to the doctor? How am I going to recover? I'm going to have to go back to work. Now I have to figure out how to afford um, formula, which is very expensive because I don't have the time to breastfeed my child and I don't have time to pump at the workplace. And even if you have time to pump, it's not easy to do. So we're pushing women back. Their hormones aren't regulated at that point. They're not ready. And these are why, you know, we have to now spend so much more money on maternal health, maternal mental health. If we just gave women the time to recover, it would it would be so supportive and so helpful. And do you feel like electing more progressive moms is like, is that the, is that the magic bullet? Like, is that the answer? Yes, honestly, it really is. I, I launched Vote <laughs> Mama. Starting to sound that way. No, it's, it's, it is because you elect these women and they're the women who get it. So I launched Vote Mama, the PAC side, right after my campaign, because the women who were the most supportive to me during my campaign were other moms who had been through it. And they're the ones who are fighting for all of these policies. You know, you you look at the pandemic. The first bailout package bailed out the airline industry by more than $60 billion and only gave $3 billion to childcare. And it really was the moms in Congress, the Democratic moms in Congress who fought for the bailout package to make sure that childcare centers could survive during this pandemic. They're the ones who are fighting to have paid family leave. They're the ones who are fighting. We're about to get 
knock wood, and I don't want to say this, but we're about to get the most massive investment in childcare spending that this country has ever done. You know, we almost had universal childcare after World War II with the Lanham Act. And then the second the war was over, we shut those childcare centers down. We almost passed universal childcare and then Nixon vetoed it. We're about to have the most massive investment in childcare. And that is frankly because of the Democratic moms in Congress who have been the most vocal. Electing Democratic moms will change the conversations at the table. And that's why I started Vote Mama. We've now supported almost 250 Democratic moms running from school board to Senate. I mean, do we do you get the sense that we're shifting because we have more moms in Congress? Like, I do feel like the conversation has shifted. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like Katie Porter, I feel like Ilhan Omar, I feel like the parents that are in Congress, I feel like they are having an impact we were, mm-hmm. we're talking about maternal mortality. We're talking about we're talking about child care and paid leave, and it's actually getting into legislation. Do you feel like we're sort of there's a little mo- momentum behind these issues um, yes. now? And and also once this once Biden um, signs, let's let's all assume that this second part of this is going to pass. Um, you know, when when people start feeling the effects of that, that will create even more momentum for getting more of these issues um, um, into our policy. Sorry, yes, I'm interrupting you, but yes, you're you're completely correct. <laughs> there, I'm sorry, I'm excited about it. There is momentum. <laughs> there is so much momentum. Honestly, before 2018, very few women talked about their children on the campaign trail. In 2018, I think enough of us were just so pissed after Trump was elected that we talked about our kids and we were very open and honest about who we were. You know, one of my favorite photos is Abigail Spanberger giving her acceptance speech with her four-year-old between her legs. And Katie, you know, she was one of the first people to join our advisory committee. We, we ran the same, the same cycle and she's the first single mom in Congress. Yes. She's three kids. And she talks about the realities of motherhood in this country so well and explains really what people are going through in a realistic way that we never really had before. And we have so many moms right now. I mean, so many, I should, I shouldn't say so many, it's still 6%. Uh, But that, that group of democratic moms who are in office are vocal and they're really talking about these issues and people are talking about these issues more. And honestly, it's the pandemic has a lot to do with it. It really, all of these issues have always been failing families in this country, but because of the pandemic, people are finally starting to understand the economic impact. Anytime I would talk about childcare or paid family leave during my campaign, someone would always say, ignore the women's issues and stick to the bread and butter issues. And it would infuriate. What is more bread and butter? Exactly. (laughs) Even before the pandemic, we lost $57 billion a year because of the lack of childcare. Childcare and paid family leave are the most basic economic issues this country faces. People cannot go to work if they don't have childcare. Businesses cannot stay open. These issues affect everyone. If we had similar labor force participation rates to countries like Canada and Germany that have paid family leave, quality subsidized affordable childcare and flexible working options, we'd actually have five and a half million women to our workforce and $500 billion a year to the economy. Because of the pandemic, people are starting to open their eyes and actually understand that these issues are tied to the economy. Because we've now elected these very vocal democratic moms who are out there fighting for these issues, there is momentum. And if we get Build Back Better passed, it's going to be a once in a generation, you know, opportunity to continue to push and to make sure that we pass policies that support families in this country. And that's why, you know, I wanted to launch Vote Mama now because of my experience running as a mom and all of the other moms that I had talked to. You need to have that support system. The Old Boys Network is alive and well. We're mm-hmm. building the mamas. Yes. 
Yes. I mean, women have only been networking in a professional sense in this country for, you know, 40, 50 years. Men have been doing it since the beginning of the Republic. And if you don't allow childcare on a campaign for, say, what you are doing is not just keeping women out of the workforce, you're keeping younger women out of office. Like we elected, okay, every Congress forever has had men in their 20s. We didn't get a woman in her 20s until 2018. Like the reason why we are seeing younger women run for office is because there are more child care options for them. Otherwise, the only women who are able to run for office are the Nancy Pelosi model. And we love Nancy Pelosi. We're, we want all kinds of women in office. But you have to wait until your kids are grown. You have a measure of, of financial health of your own. And then you get to run. And at that point, you know, you're 50 or 60. Like yep. we, we are just silencing the electoral voices of women in their 20s, 30s and 40s if we don't uh, if we don't prioritize child care. Exactly. That is literally the entire point of vote moment. You know, Nancy Pelosi is absolutely amazing. She waited till her youngest child was 17 and graduated. Yeah school before she even stepped up. Women don't get into leadership positions until they're in their 60s and 70s because exactly as you said, they wait till their kids are grown. We have to normalize what it looks like to run as a mom. You know, the first question you get asked as a mom running for office is who will watch your kids while you campaign? Everybody will ask you this question. Whether or not they're, you know, doubting you or just trying to be nice, that is the question you get asked. The first question should be why are you running and how can I help? And that is what we're trying to do people doubt that you can do it. Donors don't take you as seriously. Voters don't. The press doesn't. I can't tell you how many times an art, you know, there was an article that would talk about my husband. Oh, you can only see uh, her husband on the outskirts of events, carrying the children, the the couple's two uh, toddlers. And I remember, you know, laughing, but also being annoyed because that would never have been the case if my husband was the candidate and I was holding the toddlers. Yeah, nobody would mention you. (laughs) Nobody would mention you, but it was so unusual that Chris was holding the babies and I was up there giving a speech. And that happens to women across the country. You need to you need to normalize what it looks like. I was questioned by leaders of my own party whether or not I was using my kids as political props. Mm. You know, they they said things like, "You I mean like never men have done kids. for hundreds of years, and yeah. the wives do?" Okay. Oh well, my primary <laughs> opponent. I'm, I'm not saying you were doing that, but I'm like, seriously. No, but it's true. My primary opponent criticized me for putting photos of me and my children in some of my mailers, and then oh my took God. photos with somebody else's kids and put it in his mailers. <laughs> King is the worst. No, no, no. That was my primary opponent, my Democratic. Oh, no. Oh, then that dude is also the worst. Man. (laughs) Yeah, people, it's 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 what happens so that we are normalizing what it looks like to run as a mom and frankly, to serve as a mom. I launched Vote Mama Foundation a year after the pack because we have to continue to break down the cultural and structural barriers that women's fa- women face when they run and when they serve. And we've been working to expand my FEC ruling to all 50 states. So this, you know, unfortunately, when you get a pass at the FEC, you still have to actually change campaign finance state by state. And our goal is to hit all 50 states by 2023. And we've actually now passed this 15 states have passed legislation and an additional 10 have approved it through rulings. So state and local candidates can also use their campaign funds to run and, you know, pay for childcare while they're running for office. That is truly amazing. Congratulations on all of the success that you have had. And obviously we need you to have significantly more success, especially before 2024. Yuva Gretchen Shirley, thank you so much for being with us this morning. This has been a fabulous conversation. Thank you so much for having me. Have a great day, guys. You too. We'll be back tomorrow with another Signal Boost podcast. Thanks for listening. 